Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings. Malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to Asking Why Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and um, we're on episode 61. Thanks for joining us today. Um, It's just going to be me, and I'm just going to take a a second to talk about here in in America, we have had another school shooting, and we've had several shootings happen in the last couple of weeks, and uh, there's a lot going on with that. There's been a lot going on with that for years in our culture, and as somebody who works with trauma all the time and works with families after personal injury and after death of children and after death of family members, whether it's shooting or murder, or violence, I, I see it all the time. And, and so I'm just going to try to have a, a decently nuanced conversation about this um, because I tend to see in the media um, just talking points on, on different sides with the agenda. And so I'm going to try to try to talk about it as best I can and take the risk to try to talk about it and just externalize some thoughts that I wrote down this morning. Um, because I think, um, all of us are trying to figure out what to do and, and how to feel and how to um, how to live in a world where there's all this stuff going on. So, first, I uh, I just want to say, man, the, I, I, my heart goes out to the parents um, of these children. I think 19 so far have, have passed away with a couple of adults. So this was in Texas. I'm at a school, elementary school. Apparently, an 18 year old boy came in, and I'm going to say boy because the media has been saying an 18 year old man. Um, but I tend to think of this guy after looking at his pictures and seeing his Instagram post. You know, he's a child. He's 18. Yeah, he's legally a man, but emotionally, developmentally, um, you know, he's just a baby. Uh, that's a whole nother podcast I'm going to do later on manhood and transitioning manhood from kids. But like, you know, the media says it's a man, like it's a 40 year old guy who came in and shoot up, shot up the school. But I think this guy was like either just graduated or still in high school. So he was just a kid. You know, I think about going to Afghanistan when I was 19, turned 20. And I look back on there and, and he was, you know, I was just a baby. I mean, I was just a little kid, didn't know any better, didn't know what I was doing. And I see this kid on in this picture and he just looks so young. And so I just, you know, this, this kid goes in and, um, 
and obviously did a, a horrific, terrible, malicious, crazy. You could use all the adjectives and verbs and whatever you want to, to, to describe it, but it was horrible. Right. And there's something about a, you know, nonsensical, crazy, um, violent act like this that just is disturbing to all of us. I know I was in the gym this morning listening to some music and working out and just the, one of the songs came out. I was sad. I was thinking about this and I'm like about to cry in the gym. And of course it's all over the news, all over the media. But, I, you know, I think about these parents who are, you know, right now, you know, picking out a casket, trying to write a eulogy, comforting their friends and their families. And I, I mean, it's just my heart breaks for, each one of those those parents and and the teachers and the kids and just the community around and and then the greater the state of Texas and just what they're trying to figure out and the governor's trying to figure out and the and then outside of that it bleeds into all of us you know it bleeds into our cultures and our countries I mean our states and and it's it's just so confusing and so for at first I just want to say you know that that's really my where my heart's desire is is to to grieve and lament with those those families and and be praying for them and and we all should do that but to pray for something that we're not going to do anything about you know it's just we can't just pray i mean praying's great but we have to figure out what to do and so i want to have a conversation today about you know what can we do if you're sitting there listening to this podcast and i'm i mean i'm i'm trying to figure this out myself and challenge myself and what can we do? So I hope, I hope we can get to some answers. Um, I mean, one of the things is that, you know, we're all in a little bit of shock. Uh, we continue to just, you know, kind of reel back from the horribleness that, that life can give us. And, um, these shootings have been happening since Columbine to Sandy Hook. I mean, we've had these shootings in the media and they blow up and we get really upset about it and we cry about it and we post on social media about it and we try to push for, action to be done um but i don't think many of us at least i don't know what you know i don't know a lot about what can be done and what it should be done um we've had shootings in grocery stores and churches and in mosques and some of them have been you know hate crimes on racistly or religiously and some of them have just been like this shooting a hispanic boy shot up a hispanic uh, hispanic school you know same ethnicity same culture so when these things happen, they, they rock our worlds and we, we have to make sense of them and our sense of safety and security is completely out of whack. And we've had shootings in, in the city of Shreveport here recently, um, in neighborhoods that w- many of my friends I used to live in and walk in and, and these shootings happen and a stray bullet flies through a window and kills a teenager. And, and we respond with grief and anger and all over the spectrum, but what to do about it it's it's hard to find in the midst of all the information and in the midst of all the um, fear and and anger and emotion and so one of the things that i think is devastating is is our own our own sense of you know frailty that that man it can just be any any one of us at any time and the answer to that's yes you know and we could take that and, and run with that like a meteor could hit the earth and end it tomorrow i mean I mean, that's kind of how we should live our lives according to Scripture is that we take one day at a time and we live one day at a time to its fullest knowing that tomorrow is not promised. But we can't stay in that, in that, that space anxiously uh, in fight or flight. 
And that's what's happening, right? We, we see these things on the media and, and everybody's in fight or flight, all of us. And, and so people go to their keyboards and go to their podcasts and go to their things and blast out what should be done and, and, and rant and rave. And, and where we're at right now is just so divisive. It's so polarizing. I saw, um, you know, people posting online. Um, I wish kids you know, we're loved as much as guns in this country. And I, and then I see the other side, you know, posting that we should have armed guards standing in front of the schools and this kind of stuff wouldn't happen. And I see basketball coaches online asking for the senators and the congressmen to pass a law and do something for gun control. And we see all of this and I just find myself being real confused on what's true and what can be done and what's the actual problem. Like, obviously, um, none of us want to see school shootings happen and we need to figure out a way to to prevent them as much as possible but how do we do that is the question you know in the argument of gun control um and what what does that even mean you know what is it what is controlling guns i think there's like more guns per people in america and so how do we control that are we talking about illegal guns are we talking about legal guns what what are we trying to do what issue are we trying to address? And it seems like when I look at it and I'm, I see just different issues trying to be addressed at the same time, and they're all, they all are issues that need to be addressed, but they're not, we don't need to pit them against each other. We don't need to be, make one different than the other. But that's where we're at. That's what sells. That's what pushes us. And we live in this unique time where, you know, real journalism is, is gone. You know, we look at currently the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard case where she, put out that things had happened and, and articles were written and now we're figuring out if it did or didn't happen but used to you'd have to have sources and proof for it to come out and you can see the media as they post things you know 18 year old male adult this um you know this happened because of a hate crime before they even find out if that's actually what's happened and what that is it's, there's an agenda you know through covid we saw the same thing we just false information, mixed information, change of information, voter fraud, right? We Our elections happen and, and, and all this media stuff. And I think all of us just find ourselves being like, man, do I trust the sources? Do I trust what I'm being told? But when we get in fight or flight and we get impassion, you know, passionate about these things, we just take whatever sounds good and reasonable in the moment. We post it. We say something about it. We, we get up in arms. And that I just think that adds to the confusion and the frenzy. And I get it. You know, we have these kind of responses. We want to fix something. Or some of us just turn it completely off. We just check out. We go, I don't, I can't do anything. That gun control is too big of a problem. School shootings are too big of a problem. So I'm just going to, not going to happen here. Not going to happen to me. And we shut it down. Or we become very vigilant about it. And we start, you know, posting and, and ranting and raving. And, and I'm not sure. I'm not saying either one of those is wrong. I'm just, this is what I see. And I see again and again the same political manipulation and agenda on both sides. Just post, you know, going before Congress or going for the Senate or going for the House or whatever. And just the videos that I'm seeing on both sides are just so biased. You know, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, my best friend called me this morning on the way back from the gym and, and we were talking. He was like, Yeah, I hope that. 
you know, we maybe our school should do some active shooter drills. And I'm like, I'm on the, I was on the opposite side. I'm thinking, I really hope my school doesn't do active shooter drills. Like, I feel like that's unnecessary. And so we, you know, I said, Hey, well, tell me why you think that's a good idea. You know, I want to learn what, maybe I'm missing something. And so we had a conversation and back and I feel like that's what we're lacking. It was like somebody says something on the opposite side of what you think. And instead of us asking questions and learning and seeking advice and trying to figure out what about that might be true that we could add into our way of thinking and find a middle ground, we just get mad and say, that's ridiculous. And I get that. I mean, it's an emotional reaction, but is there a middle ground? Can we, can we figure this out? You know, the first thing we have to do is grieve and lament and, and see each other and these families and these kids as our families, as the, the, the children of God that he, he has made, that he loves, and that this broken world is, is chewing up. And we have to be motivated by that, whatever it is. We have to see the other people on the other side of the aisle or the, the, the argument as, as giving them the benefit of the doubt that they, they don't want this to happen either and that they... They're trying to find their way in their culture and their worldview to solve this problem. And so when we see them as on the same team with a different agenda, then we can work together and have conversations. And that that could be the person in, in your church. That could be the person at your job. That could be the person, your family member who lives in another state. But we have to, as Christians, unite and, and not be divisive in our conversations and not be so emotionally um, driven Yes, we have emotions. Yes, we should feel those emotions, and they should guide us and direct us in some way to let us know what's going on. But then we have to get to truth and grace and mercy in our conversations with each other. And so the question is, what are we going to do to prevent the death of our fellow Americans and these kids? What can I do? What can you do? And I think that we have to you know, address the, the root causes and not just focus on the symptoms. You know, we're literally seeing our children littered with bullet holes at schools and, and people in grocery stores and churches and mosques and all these places. And yet we are putting band-aids on bullet holes as a society. We're, we're, we're going, oh, well, let's do a gun law and, and you know, that one thing. Let's, let's put a, a check on, you know, X, Y, Z. But we're like, I don't know if that's the problem. You know, look at the leading cause of death in America. You know, number one is heart disease, cancer, unintentional injury, stroke, chronic lower respiratory disease, Alzheimer's, and diabetes. Those are the number one killers. I don't see school shootings on there. And so I say that because people are dying from preventable things all the time. And yet we as a society are not looking at prevention we 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 set up a thing that deals with the the crisis and we just keep dealing with the crisis we keep dealing with the heart attack we keep dealing with the cancer but we're not we're not stopping to go how is this happening how are we getting here how do we get to these moments and what do we do to prevent it there's certainly a problem when it comes to school shootings i mean there's you know since 2009 288 school shootings in the united states Two in Canada, two in France, one in Germany, zero in Japan, zero in Italy, and zero in the UK. So this is not happening all over the world. So yes, people are violent. Yes, there's things going on. But there is a a particular reason why there's been way more in America than there have been in these other countries. And we've got to figure out what that is. And it's nuance. It's not just one thing. 
there are um, 132,853 schools in the United States, according to the census. And so I, I asked myself when I got up this morning and you know think about people sending their kids to school, it's like we're terrified to do it, but should we be? Should we fear sending our kids to school? No, based on stats, but we're going to be. We're going to be terrified. We're going to fear what we don't know. I read an article um, by a professor this morning that said, um, based on statistics and school shootings, that you would have to attend a school for about 6,000 years before you would experience a shooting because they happen so few and far between. And that doesn't minimize the experience of, of the parents. I mean, it doesn't matter if it happens to one, one school ever. That's a horrible tragedy, and we should figure out how it happened and what to do about it. And that's exactly what I'm saying is we have to figure it out. But we can't respond based off of emotion and based off of fear. We have to figure out what the problem is and, and treat that. When one of these happens, we, you know, we're just in so much pain that we just respond. And no, we shouldn't do nothing just because it's a low number. I think, you know, one kid, one family is too many. But what should we do? Right? How do we protect the kids? How do you know the arguments are arm the teachers? Teach them drills, right? Teach them different drills to shooter drills, active shooter drills. We could put door, you know, bars on the doors and, and better security systems. We could put fences around the schools where there's one gate in and one gate out. I mean, we're, we're talking about having to militarize our education systems based on something that doesn't happen very often. It happens a lot more here than it happens anywhere else. But statistically, again, the likelihood of our kids getting sent to school and, and dying is, is very, very low. We still should be addressing it. We should be figuring out how to lower that to 0%. But the question goes, what do we do to prevent this? One side says gun control. You know, right? We just take away guns from everybody's an option. Right, so we could form a, a team of people who go door to door, house to house, and take everybody's guns and and um, do away with all guns in America except for the government having them, and except for, you know, and that doesn't sound like a good idea. We could limit it to a very small group of people. We could make the the gun control uh, rights so small that only a very very few people get it could get it, and they're the only ones who could handle weapons appropriately. They make sure they keep them locked up appropriately. They they follow certain rules and guidelines, and they're the ones that have the guns. We could fund more police and and units right to co collect guns and get them off the streets. You know, we, we did the war on drugs, but we can do the war on illegal guns. We could go and our tax dollars and our money could go to having lots of more police on the street and, and going all over the place and being all the way around. Well, that's the problem, right? We don't even have enough Shreveport cops to, to do what we have to do here. Why is that? Well, there's not enough funding. Why is there not enough funding? Well, the government has to fund that. It's a government organization. Or the state has to fund it if it's a private police force there has to be money to pay people to go and do these things and what would that look like what would that change in our in our cities in our communities there's some countries where they have an armed person at a gas station everywhere you go there you 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 know haiti there's a there's a person on the corner with a shotgun you know and they'll take you out do we want that to be the culture that we live in 
Will that make us feel safe? I don't know the answer. These are the things that I'm seeing thrown around and argued and talked about when it comes to gun control. And, and they just don't seem like good options or they don't seem like one option. And so I'm frustrated. I'm confused. I'm, uh, I'm trying to figure it out. Right. But again, those all just seem like symptoms to me. You know, the gun itself, the, the gun control itself, the argument about guns is to some degree confusing because it seems to me that these, this 18 year old kid, let's look at this one scenario. How do we prevent this one scenario? Well, this 18 year old kid, where did he get those guns? Well, he got those guns illegally. He didn't get them legally. And that goes back to, well, there's there's guns on the street for him to get. Okay, we got to get those guns off the street. Well, how do we do that? We have to pay people to go in and police better and get, you know, have more police to do more more of that work to get these off the street. Yeah, we can do that, but that I can't do anything about that. I'm not a cop. You know, and you're listening to this and you're not a cop. You you feel helpless to do anything about that. And so how do we as individuals play into this culture? And help. Well, I think it starts at home. It starts in our networks. It starts in our communities. It starts in the way we raise our kids. And how do we glorify violence in America? How do we glorify war and combat? And the films we let little kids watch and the way we talk about things, like all of those things matter. Are they causes? No, but they, they matter. You know? People love to go to the shooting range and shoot for a recreational sport. And um, you know, there's no problem with that. It's America. You do what you want to. But we have to ask ourselves why. Us as individuals, we have to ask ourselves, why do we do certain things? Why do we like to dress up in military garb and go out and shoot and have AR-15s? And, and again, there's where the argument goes. Well, we need to take these, you know, these AR-15s off the street. And it's like, this kid had a pistol, apparently. Should we take all the pistols off the street too? Like it, it, the, the argument just gets so convoluted and it misses the point to me, right? As a veteran, I mean, I like guns. I like, they look, they look cool. I like to shoot them, but I have to ask myself why, you know, why am I going to invest that much time and energy into, into these things? Like, do I keep some for self-defense? Do I keep some to protect my home and my family? And we, we have that right in America. That's an important right. And I don't think that should even be the argument. Of course, people who are healthy and who are using weapons appropriately and guns appropriately should have them and keep them. It sounds like to me, it seems like to me, what the question is, how do we, how do we deal with the illegal stuff? How do we get illegal guns off the street? And again, my, you know, the left side or the liberal side would say, well, if you like guns and, you know, you have them in your home, you're more likely, you know, to end in violence. And, and again, all that's going to depend on the person who has the gun. And so it seems like such a mixed cultural issue on both sides. And I find myself in the middle just going, can we just be in the middle? Can we figure this out together as a community? And that's what I think we just do so poorly in America is figure this out as a community. But if we just stop and think about this one scenario and this kid, how did we? How would we have prevented that? Well, in order per, to prevent things, we have to know who's doing it and who the bad guy is, right? Who who 
who's the one committing the crime. And then we have to be able to compare them to other crimes, other shootings. So we have to look at all the shootings and not just see the shooting as the issue, but see the people who, who, who committed the shootings as the issue and figure out what are the commonalities and what are the differences. And if, if every one of these shootings, there's a different shooter, right? A different reason, a different history, a different background, then can we prevent that? Well, is there, are there are there common threads? Are there common issues that go along with the shooting? And ultimately, I would say, yes, it's a spiritual and an emotional issue. Right? It's a, somewhat a mental health issue. And people get tired. And, you know, that's the other side. Don't say anything about their mental health. They're crazy. They don't deserve that. The problem is the gun. But we have to deal with that, too. So let's deal with the guns. Let's figure that out. Let's find out how to do, you know, get illegal guns off the street. Let's figure out how to, to pass laws. You know, I saw Steve Kerr, uh, coach for, I think, Golden State, saying, you know, for the congressman to pass the law. Well, great, let's pass the law. But if we pass the law, it's, it's, is it going to fix an 18-year-old with illegal guns from walking in and shooting a school? I don't know. It's outside of my pay grade. I don't understand why they don't just pass the law. Right? Why not? Why, let's pass the law, and then, and then let's find out if it happens again. Well, we know that didn't solve it, so now what can solve it? So we can't freeze up and not do anything. But when we're in the army, you know, when I was in the army, we had to know what the Al Qaeda or the Taliban were going to do in order to stop them. And so we have to know how they think. There's a, um, author Peter Langman, and he wrote a book, um, about school shootings. He did a ton of research. He's a psychologist and he, um, use statistics and, and followed around, you know, all these different schools. And he talked about, um, you know, how we have to think about school violence. And so he, he, you know, he was saying we have to define what is school violence and what do we mean by that? Because some people would describe school violence as bullying. Um, but what we're focusing on, right, is this kind of school shootings in a, a large scale and that's what he talks about in his book. Um, and the reality is he's the one that talked about that it's, you know, you get 6,000 years before it'll happen. And so they ask him, what are some factors that lead to kids reaching the point of becoming violent? And he said, you know, it's not generally that it's a low, a sl long, slow buildup that, or that people don't just tend to snap, right? It was, he's a nice kid and he snaps. And the book's called uh, Why Kids Kill Inside the Minds of School Shooters. And he says there are three distinct types of people who commit school shootings. Right? And we have to understand that they come from different backgrounds, right? and they do it from different reasons. But he says there's the traumatized shooter, there's the psychopathic shooter, and there's the psychotic shooter. He says traumatized shooters, they come from dysfunctional family, families, poverty, abuse in the home. A number of them have been sexually abused outside the home. Their parents are generally poor. The kid bounces around from house to house, from moms to dads to grandmas. And sometimes they're in and out of foster care. There's no stability. And eventually, right, these are the kids who go to school and rage out because of depression and anxiety and mental health issues. The others who are these essentially, they can come from stable and what seemingly intact families. Um... I would say that there's not many of us that don't have trauma and have something, but he says one type is the psychotic, psychopathic, 
and someone who is narcissistic and they don't care about other people. They don't have any empathy. They don't have any remorse. They don't respect laws, regulations, authorities, and they're going to do what they feel like doing. They're often very sadistic, and so they get a thrill over having the power over life and death. And so this, this is the thing that we have to figure out, like which one is it each time? They don't typically have, you know, these kids don't have a strong socials group. They may have some friends, but not very many followers. And they're usually pretty isolated. But when we talk about the psychotic group, right, the third group, this is the group that is really isolated. And this is the group that he says is under schizophrenic spectrum. And they're usually, um, you know, the kids who don't have any friends. They don't speak to anyone for four years in college. They're extremely alone. Or this was the guy from Sandy Hook. This was the Virginia Tech shooters. These were the kids who no one saw coming. And so when you see this extreme isolation, this is what he calls the psychotic shooter. They're having hallucinations. They hear voices. They're paranoid and delusional. So these these are kids that we have to understand that if if they're so isolated, they're so left out, like why does that happen? It would be my question as a therapist to this guy. Right? And so obviously that starts in the home, that starts in our communities, that starts with paying attention and knowing what to look for. The other argument that comes up is like, you know, video games, like violence and media and all these things. And yes, we glorify that stuff, but there are millions of kids who play, you know, Grand Theft Auto, who play uh, Medal of Honor, who play these games, and they don't go out and kill people. So we have to figure out what's the link between that. And if you go back to his three examples, right, you have people who are more susceptible. So if you have kids who are in the foster care system, if we have kids who have been in a divorce situation, if you have kids who are already set up from trauma and connection and relationships, exposing them to violence is going to right, cause more violence later in the future. The risk is higher for these kids. And so we have to do a better job as a community, as a culture, of tending to these kids when we see them at their earliest stages of being at risk. I'm getting to go speak at the uh, United States Trafficking Conference about um, what makes a pimp and what makes a human trafficker. And, and it's the same thing, right? If, if we're going to stop trafficking and, and human trafficking and prostitution and pimps, and then we have to figure out how does a male become a trafficker? How does a male become a pimp? How does a male buy a prostitute? So we got to look in their history and understand where this came from and what happened to them when they were little and when they were children and how that shaped their arousal and their understanding of uh, women and violence and relationship. And we have to figure out, are they humans that are broken and traumatized or are they psychotic or psychopaths? And each one of those things is going to take a different leaning, but it, it's the same thing here. The symptom is a school shooting, but it could be that they become a trafficker or a pimp. It could be they could become an abuser. It could be they could become a drug addict. It could be they become whatever that we would see as evil and heinous and violent that, that corrodes our culture and that destroys our lives and our families, and we don't want that. But we have to dig in, and we have to do prevention with our children. It starts with these innocent little kids who grow up in families with no support. 
It's not just the video game. It's not just they had a, access to a pistol. It's not just that they had these symptoms. It's, it's that they had things going on way before these things happened that we have to do something about. And so, I mean, obviously I'm biased as a therapist, but if we as the church, if we as a culture don't do the commandment of loving the orphans and the widows, the poor and the powerless, we don't resource that. If we don't have accountability and discipleship within those communities, that's that's what we have to do to lower this risk. But again, we're low. You know, we're lowering it from less than one percent to point zero 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 six percent. So even if we do all of that, does that mean there won't be someone who? slips through the cracks and, and loses it and shoots somebody in a grocery store or shoots someone in a... No, because there's sin in the world. There's brokenness in the world. That will always happen. Until heaven is restored and the earth is restored and heaven is brought to earth, then, then these type of things will happen no matter what we do. Again, that doesn't mean we don't fight. That doesn't mean we don't advocate. That doesn't mean we don't try to figure things out. But we also have to learn as a community how to live in the in-between. And I support one another in the middle. And how to engage in conversation with each other kindly and lovingly, assuming that the other person wants the same thing that you do, which is to not have kids be shot at school. And that everybody's probably doing the best they can. The last thing I'll say is, you know, that's what we can do as individuals. But I do think that the schools can do something to, to protect, and that's just be aware, right? Be more mentally informed. Be more aware of, of kids and looking out for kids who might have some red flags or some things for teachers and administrators to look out for. You know, some of them have attacking-related behavior. They get in fights or they're aggressive. They, you know, talk about maybe, a, you know, planning an attack with somebody or write a letter. They stockpile weapons. They research other shooters online. Right, they re- they try to recruit friends to join them, or they could, you know, maybe warn a friend to stay away from school that day. I know this this kid posted, you know, some a clip and some weapons, automatic weapons on Instagram. Did anybody report that? Did we talk about that? It had been like I think several weeks since he had posted it, and uh, you know, the thing they call that is is leakage. So when they leak their intentions, right? They, they start to, they don't realize they're in a disassociative state or they're in a chaotic state and they post on Instagram not knowing that, that what they're thinking and they're unconscious and their thoughts are leaking out for everybody to see. And if we're not trained as, as a community, if we're not aware of those things or we keep so individualized that we don't say anything, then right, we, we don't prevent it. And so if schools are trained to recognize threats, they can, you know, prevent attacks. So we, we've got to do something different. We've got to have conversations about community and about looking for the warning signs. About looking at in our homes as parents. And it's so daunting to think about, like, how, how do we all fix that? And I, and I don't think we can. Right, none of us can go into in every home, but we can do what we can in our communities with people and conversations. You know, schools can have threat assessment procedures. They can have multiple disciplinary teams. They can do, you know, all these things that this guy's writing about and saying that we can do. But 
at the end of the day, that's too late. Lockdown procedures are great, but that's going to minimize the damage. It's not going to prevent the attack. And so we've got to have a community of people that are looking out for each other's children and supporting, you know, giving different resources for these kids to be involved in, boys and girls clubs, mentors, things where they can have people loving on them. And if they are one of those children that's a psychopath or psychotic, it's going to be a chemical issue, right? And we're going to see that early on, and we need to have spaces and places for those kids to get help early on, better homes, better children's homes, better support groups, better better things for them to be protected from themselves and from others before they turn 18, before they have access to all these weapons and all these things. And by the time an adult has got a weapon or an AR-15 or a pistol and we're into the, the conversation about gun control, it's too late. Just like when a woman's trafficked or prostituted, it's, it's too late. We've got to get to the prevention piece earlier with children and families and get back to the nuclear family being a thing, and the church can do that. We can teach that. We can educate that. We can support that with our money, with our time, with our love, with our grace, with our you know mercy. We can, we can do those things. We can teach our kids to be kind and not to bully and not to pick and not to, to push, to be inclusive, to be loving. We have to change that, that paradigm in our own lives, and that's the only thing we can do. I don't think we're going to be able to, you know, fix the problem whether with guns in America or with mental health totally. But man, we can have better conversations, more nuanced conversations, and we can love on each other as we do it. And we cannot get caught up in the rhetoric and the politics and the bipartisan, you know, we got to do this, we got to do this, these extreme measures on both sides. And as Christians, we can we can keep ourselves from posting before we know what we're looking at and what the truth is. We can keep ourselves from being antagonistic and pushing buttons on the other side and calling people names and shaming people and downplaying them because they have a different opinion than we do. What we can do is we can point them to community and we can be that community. We can have open arms and, and we can have open homes and we can have open wallets to give and support in the areas that we can where we feel like God's calling us to do that. We can continue to change the world from the inside out, but most most of us, as I, I find myself today, just feel helpless some, sometimes to do anything. And it feels like too much. And so my question to us as we wrap this conversation up is, you know, I'm not here to give you a bunch of answers and tell you. I'm just externalizing a bunch of thoughts that I think a lot of us are having. But can we pray? Can we think? Can we be thoughtful about the influence we have in our lives over kids? Right? The kids in our schools, the kids in our neighborhoods, the kids in our city. Do we have a way to reach out to them, to love on them, to to connect with them? Are we taking care of ourselves and being healthy enough to listen to the Holy Spirit when something's wrong? something's confusing do we see you know our own sin and our own brokenness in ourselves and our own capability of being hateful or racist or angry or bitter and by the grace of God we didn't turn out to be an 18 year old who 
lost his mind and did something horrific. There is evil in the world. There is brokenness in the world. But we do have the light. We do have the answer in Christ. And he died to pay for our sins. For, to pay for the sins of this kid, this 18-year-old, for the other shooters, for the other violent acts that happen in the world, for the pimps, for the traffickers, for the prostitutes, for everybody who seeks him. And so do we have that same posture? Can we keep that same posture? Can we, can we rise up against atrocities and stand up against them? But can we, can we find a way to let the Holy Spirit work through these things to, to bring good out of horrible, horrible, horrible situations? I think we can. And I think that's different for all of us. I think everybody has a different role as we're the body of Christ. We, some of us are a mouth. Some of us are a hand. Some of us are feet. Some of us are really good at praying. Some of us are really good at going and doing things. Some of us have a lot of money and we can give. I don't know what it is that is your thing, but we have to stop right now today and do something. We have to find a way to support our volunteers of youth justice or our courts or our judiciary systems or our boys and girls clubs or our children's homes or whatever is working with these children we also have to know that's not going to fix everything that's not going to stop the problem that's not going to stop some kid from being abused and, and turning into a monster but the thing is there's no such thing as monsters there's just human beings who are broken and who have a history and have a story and have a background and if we can be the church who understands people's stories and their backgrounds and loves them through it and walks beside them through it we can see change. So that's my thoughts on it. I don't know if any of that made sense or it's all just rambling, but I hope that you're listening and you're confused. You're as confused as I am. That gives you some comfort in knowing that nobody has the answers. And when somebody's acting like they have the hundred percent answer, it's okay to go, Oh, I don't really agree. It's not instead of jumping in both feet. It's okay to have conversations and, and, ask questions and, and say, tell me, tell me why you think that. Tell me why we should do that. Okay, that makes sense. What about this? And, and have dialogue. And we should be doing that with the people in our lives, not online with strangers. Not in comment sections on you know MSNBC or Fox or wherever. Because the world's watching us. And they're watching how we react and we respond to these situations. And we have to do it in love and grace. And truth but at the same time. Thanks for listening as always. Um, I have some more guests on the next couple of weeks and have some better conversations or good conversations or however you want to measure it. But thank you for listening. Thank you for um, continuing to follow us. You can go to our Facebook page, Clint Davis Counseling, or our website, listen to the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Like and subscribe on YouTube. Hope you, have, you guys have a good day. God bless you.